Hello and welcome to the third episode of the Two for One podcast brought to you by Anchor and In the Lane, a Miami Heat NBA podcast. Sean, did you know in basketball, a two for one situation is when a team properly manages the clock at the end of a quarter to get two possessions rather than just one? I did. And for this year's Miami Heat team, that often leads to two disappointing possessions. (laughs) And just like the Miami Heat, this podcast brings you two disappointing hosts for the price of one. My name is Twisted Tapioca, who will be representing the early shot clock transition three from Tyler Hero to secure the two-for-one opportunity. The shot looks beautiful coming off my hand, but it misses short. You have to understand, I have a lot going on in my personal life. And after multiple switches leading to an easy basket inside, I'm your second host, Dr. Struess, finishing up the two-for-one situation, representing Trevor Ariza, who receives a pass with under a second left and is unable to get a shot off after Jimmy Buckets passes up another layup. Yes. (laughs) We are frustrating, too. Tony, what's new since last week? Depression, Sean. New depression. About a whole new cornucopia of things. But let's just tackle the teams that we played. We had a win against the San Antonio Spurs, a deflating loss against the Atlanta Hawks, and then a back-to-back with the Bulls, which we split. Now, I have a question for you. Looking back at these two horrific losses that we faced at terrible times. Does that Hawks loss feel worse than any other loss that we've had this season? Man, it's, it's choosing from a long list of disappointing losses. That's, that's the heat this year, right? Yeah. Um, You know, I think I look back at some of the losses, like losing to Detroit, uh, losing in some of those late game collapses to golden state, losing to, um, Philadelphia, even though we were shorthanded when we had a game in hand and turned the ball over late, uh, we just have so many times where you look at a game and you really should, should win. We have the upper hand, we have the better team. We're at home, all these great situations that usually we capitalize on. And this is just another example twice in the same week where we walked in, we should have won and we let it just piss down our leg basically. And that's why we're in the situation that we're in. And another game where we're leading in the fourth to then eventually let the game slip by with Chicago last night. And I, like I said, we were talking in the pregame. This was the most frustrated I think I've been the entire season. Like it finally hit me that I keep believing the hope trafficking that things are going to get turned around. We're going to get better at uh, the problems that we've been having for 60 games. And it just seems like, we're continuing to go in the wrong direction and, and they're not fixing the things that seem to keep biting us in the fourth quarter. What do you think? You think that was the worst loss of the season? It's tough. It's between that and Detroit. And the reason I would say that Detroit game is that we were in the middle of like the worst, most depressing time this year, which was just throwing guys off the street onto the team, starting minutes, it really sucked. It felt like it was a drag game to game just to pull out quarters, more or less victories. But that but something about that Bulls loss yesterday really hurt me in a way that it hasn't lately for probably similar reasons to you. Injuries, COVID, we can look at these things and talk about why the team is in the position it's in. But when you're up in the fourth quarter, you have to close out that game. Those are NBA professionals, real ballers. Where is some of this coming from? Why, why are we seeing Max Strews disappear from the lineup after having a great game? Why are we seeing Goron play minutes when he looks really gassed? What's going on at the end of these games? 
Yeah, you know, when when we get to the the point that it's 12 minutes left in the game and, you know, we were limited last night, but just decision-making. Um, Gabe Vincent is limited. He's a great defender. He played so hard last night. He created opportunities for us with hustle plays, diving on the floor, getting steals and deflections. That was great. Offensively, when we're down, I think we were down four, and he decides to ISO and go into a step-back three, that's the wrong decision. And unfortunately, as a coach, I don't think Spolstra could just pull him from the game because who the hell are you going to put in? He had no choices. He had to, especially playing Goran as the starter. But to me, that's where we went wrong. Um, Going into that late end game stretch, Goran maybe shouldn't have been on the court. He looked flat most of the game, um, but he definitely looked flat in that fourth quarter, literally. Like his feet were not coming off of the ground. So I was just thinking to myself what I would do differently. And I I guess you just got to put Struess and Vincent at the guards there just for something, just to try and generate any kind of offense because down the stretch, you're watching that game slip away and we're making no changes. Yeah. And, and Max was getting lost a lot on defense. And I think that's why he wasn't on the floor. We know KZ often gets very lost on defense and on offense, maybe just in life in general, he may be lost. Precious, the same thing. You know, you can't trust him out there. So unless you're putting Udonis into the game, they really didn't have anybody else because uh, Duncan was dealing with his stomach issues back in the locker room, and it was unfortunate. And and I think what maybe takes us to this next question or point that's been made on Heat Twitter all day is playing two bigs, putting Deadman in there with Bam. We saw it a little bit with Belly and Bam together, and that's something we haven't seen a lot this season, uh, even though Belly's only been with us for about a month. But what do you think about the Deadman and Bam pairing as a, as a big front court? I was honestly talking to someone telling them, no, don't put Bam in. No, 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 stop. Don't do it. Because I just liked how the team looked at that moment with Deadman on the court. And for some reason this year, when a play, I remember us having the same conversation with Kelly Olynyk, where Kelly would be plus 14 going into the fourth quarter and then never see a minute because there's these predetermined, predestined lineups that I think that the coaching staff is trying to get to. I don't know if the answers play too bigs, especially the, the way that we give up leads. If we can't create offense down at the bottom of the fourth quarter, clogging up the paint, I, is that the answer? Like, yeah, we might get second chance opportunities, but once every four possessions we'll get an offensive rebound what does that equate to offensively sorry you went to my what i was going to say is is that putting him in there it inevitably is going to clog up your lanes to drive and that's what jimmy does best that's a lot of times what our best offense is in the fourth quarter is getting jimmy downhill uh, or getting goron downhill or getting kendrick downhill and whether they get the shot or whether it's a kick out to duncan or other shooters that's that's really been our best offense and if you put two bigs in there, especially two that can't stretch the floor, you're you're bringing defense into the paint that is going to be there waiting to help on the drive. Yeah, we um, can't even say from last from the Atlanta game to now that we feel like there was a considerable difference in how we gave up those matchups, right? Like we lost the same kind of way. They got out rebounded and then the fourth quarter just disappeared. If you're if you're thinking Deadman's going to give you second chance opportunities. When he's playing at his best, he's rebounding, let's say, roughly 20% is is around the number, if I think, from cleaning the glass. Roughly 20%, let's say, of his team's misses. So one out of every five, which which is good, but that's what you're leaning on for him to be on the floor, so that one out of every five times he gets you a rebound. 
if he's not able to shoot and he has shot one three when he's in Miami, I don't think that it works because Bam's certainly not going to shoot the three. And so I just don't know how you incorporate that spacing, even though the argument is, okay, well, we're not making threes anyway. Last night we shot it poorly, but the, the, the player spacing, the body spacing on the floor is still there, even though you're missing shots, it wouldn't be there with Deadman and Bam on the floor at the same time. Yeah. It's kind of revisionist history just to go, well, we missed all the threes. Why sure. not put the guy out there? Well, that's not the point. The point was to generate winning plays, which and sometimes like the, the motion looked good. The offense would look okay, but there was no execution, especially at the rim. And I, and just to close on that, I do think that if, if we know and the coaching staff that we're going to be missing some of these guys for an extended amount of time, if it's Kendrick and Tyler and Goron and, and obviously Oladipo, there may be some experimentation that has to happen, but that's going to happen on days like today, an off day where maybe there was a shoot around or a practice. It's not going to happen, I don't think, in the middle of a game where they're just going to throw out two bigs because it doesn't really fit into our system from what we've seen over really the last two years. Uh, so let's transition into uh, talking about the health of some of those players we just mentioned. Our, our backcourt has been extremely banged up. So do you have any concerns about the health with Victor Oladipo, who's still only played four games in Miami? Goran Dragic has been looking old and uh, limited. And then Tyler Hero and now Kendrick Nunn is also missing some time. Yeah, I'm depressed. I mean, e each week I can find a new thing to get very depressed about with this team. And it's this week, it's the backcourt health. I remember beating the drum for Kyle Lowry just because I knew he'd be available. You know, we'd have a guy that would be out there in the court. And what I got with Victor Oladipo was world changing. For this team, Victor Oladipo was world-changing, and I was ready to bang the drum and buy the jersey. But we are just talking offstage about how there's a chance Victor Oladipo might never play a game again in a Heat jersey, and this would be it. So I'm really concerned because with him on the floor, all of a sudden we're talking about winning playoff series. But without him there, I don't know what this team's ceiling is. Where are you at? How concerned are you? I mean, 30 minutes of Gabe Vincent, as hard as he plays, is not a good thing. It's not part of winning basketball. Um, you know, you have to hide his deficiencies. So we need guys back. If, if anything, last night showed you how important Duncan is for our spacing and how important Kendrick is to our scoring. Without Tyler, I mean, he's been shooting the ball poorly, but he's still a guy that you can trust to go out there and execute at a high level, most of the time, I know he's had a rough season. I know he's not playing to the level that maybe we all expected him to be at. He's certainly not at the bubble level that he was last year, but he's still a guy I trust more than a Gabe Vincent, Max Struess, et cetera. Same thing with Goron hasn't had a great season, but do you trust him? Certainly, you know, more than those guys. And then, you know, your point about Victor Oladipo, four games of, of basketball in Miami and next week, we're looking at about two weeks left in the season, 10 games we're going to talk about later in uh, the show. At some point, he has to come back or it's going to be too late. I just don't think you can throw him out there game one of the playoffs and say, all right, let's, let's do this. Now, is he doing things behind the scenes that we don't know about? Maybe he's working out in the facility with our coaches and he's taking time off from like game where he may get hurt to be more protected that's a little bit more encouraging, but if he's still sitting out and he's hurt, I, I I'm starting to lean more and more every day that passes that he may never play 
more than those four games in Miami. If he gets if he gets all the way to the playoffs and he hasn't even seen the bench, they're not going to let him play. And this is a guy that we know wants to play basketball. Last year, going into the bubble, he held out until that moment got really close. And then he's like, ah, I want to travel with the team. And then once the atmosphere kicks in, he wanted to play basketball. So we know he's a baller. I worry that this could become even explosive in the offseason because of that. I worry about some of the situations that are going on with Victor Oladipo because they remind me a lot of Justice Winslow. And I know we've talked about this before, but where are you at? What's your level of frustration? All these components, all of these pieces that are playing into these last 10 games, the drama of Miami Heat basketball. How frustrated are you? You remember that movie uh, back in the late 90s, Varsity Blues? I do. A tan. tan. (laughs) That's where I'm at right now. Um, Like I said last night, it it was crazy because I feel like what what got me to the point of being so frustrated was watching the scoreboard, seeing that the Hawks lost, seeing that the Knicks finally lost, and the opportunity was right in front of us. Not only were you going to make up the game from you winning a game you should have won, but you're also making up ground on two teams ahead of you that you're chasing for that four or five spot. And we had the lead and it was around the third quarter that I believe is when the Knicks finally lost that close game to the Suns. And you saw, all right, we got the lead. We just got to hang on for 14, 16 more minutes. And then it happened, you know, the collapse. And it's frustrating because you can only control what's in front of you. The Heat can't scoreboard watch like we do as fans. And so it's frustrating because we have this opportunity in front of us. We have a relatively easy schedule that we're going to talk about later compared to New York, who has to go out West, compared to Boston, who has some tough games, compared to Atlanta that has some tough games. But if we can't win the games we're supposed to win, all of this stuff, breaking down the schedule, worrying about our opponents, none of that matters because either we're going to be in the playing tournament or we're going to be out in a week and a half. It's almost more frustrating because we have to sit through 10 more games. If there was a fast forward, but it's the unknown. That's so annoying. If there's a fast forward button to get us to the playoffs, all of a sudden we're sitting like, I, I, I feel alleviated. If I know for a fact that we're in a sixth seed at the end of the season, which we'll get to, and it's very possible. And this team can do this. I feel fine because I still have Jimmy and bam. We're two of the best players on the floor on any given day. But it's I have to deal with the anxiety of us playing Detroit and a back to back at the end of the season and a game where Detroit is probably going to be handing it to us on a plate, on a silver platter. And I still feel like Gabe Vincent's going to dribble the ball off his foot and lose us the game. Like this is the kind of thing I'm prepared for. So my frustration level is right there with you. I'm at a 10 too, for a different reason, but I'm at a 10 as well. We want to transition over to our weekly segment of the mailbag. So thanks to everybody who sent their questions in this week. You can also submit questions by DMing Tony at Twisted Tapioca or me at Philly Heat NBA. Both of those are on Twitter. The first question is going to come from Karmic Beads 7193 dedicated person, delivering questions. We love that. Do you think that Duncan should be in the closing lineup instead of Tyler or Goron? So I'm going to say yes. Um, I believe that Duncan's floor spacing and activity, it puts so much pressure on the defense. A lot of people use the word gravity that he draws the defense towards him. Um, you know, the one concern that you have with Duncan is the ball handling on offense. 
And he's gotten better at that attacking off of a cut or attacking off the dribble, one or two dribble pull-ups, getting to the rim. He shoots a very high percentage at the rim. He's been much better defensively. And he's obviously bigger than both of those two compared to Tyler and Goran. So in terms of matching up in size, he's not a great defender, but he's getting better. And so I would put Duncan in my closing lineup. The only time that I would say I wouldn't is if I felt like I needed more ball handling. But in that, in those situations, I'm thinking like late game where you're going to get a whole lot of pressure. Uh, a team's going to try to foul or pressure you on the last possession. I still think the gravity that he has to pull help defense away opens up so much that I would want him on the floor. He's on the floor at all times, which by the way, is one of the reasons I think that he's getting sick in the middle of games. He's literally irreplaceable. His size is important. His spacing is important. His defense is now important because he's learned how to use his length. He runs the ball in transition. He's someone that I would not take off the court unless I was resting him. So if I'm picking between Tyler Goran and Duncan, I'm picking Duncan. Even on that, so to your point, Bam's game winner against the Nets, Mm -hmm. Duncan is sliding as deep into the corner as humanly possible to open up the space. Bam gets that shot off because of that, or else the ball's getting blocked behind him. This is a no-brainer to me. Duncan is so valuable to this squad, and I know that even as a ball handler, he's not quite at the level that you would like somebody to be at. That's a guy I want on the floor. He's a competitor, even though sometimes he looks very corny when he does it. He's competing at the highest level, and he's irreplaceable to me. And I don't think we're ever going to get to the point that next year he leaves like we don't pay him I think that he's he's basically cemented himself into our future plans but if he does leave that's when people are going to finally realize how important he was I hope it doesn't happen but his value to our lineup and the way that our offense works is so incredible and so I think he's he's in line for a big payday coming up this summer Uh, Our second question comes from another loyal listener, which is Gad from Five Reasons Sports, another member of of the Ron Rothstein's pool party. And he asks, who should start in the regular season, none or Oladipo? So we're going to assume that obviously both of those are coming back healthy, let's say in about a week. Which of the two guards would you start? Uh, If Oladipo is there, I'm playing Oladipo. He's not coming back unless he's healthy. I I know the discussion is we can't play him too much because he'll get hurt. Well, he could also, the way Oladipo injures himself, he could also get hurt walking to the bench and slipping on the court. I And that's unfortunate to say, but it's just the truth. I, you can't play scared. There's not enough games for us to do that, in my opinion. Um, this might be different answer than you were expecting from me, but I'm, I'm playing him. His defense impacts games in ways that it just, we passively have more opportunities to win. So for me, I'm putting Oladipo out there if he's there. Yeah, I would agree. Oladipo would be my starter if both of those guys are healthy. Surprising, surprising. <laughs> I expected a different answer from you. No, and and he just gives us so much more defensively, his ability to play off the ball, his ability to get downhill. Not that I'm saying this, and I think we probably both agree on this, that Kendrick doesn't deserve minutes. He's earned those minutes. He, he should take Gorons. Honest to God, like right now, until we get to the playoffs, Goran should be playing super limited minutes, 12, 10. And I agree 100%. I mean, the discussion, I think, is more about if Oladipo's healthy, he's starting. The discussion is more about Nunn, Tyler, and Goran and how we mm. split those minutes as opposed to Oladipo's minutes. Um, 
it, it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, and I think Kendrick has shown to be very resilient as a as a characteristic of his you know his personality that he went from being second in rookie of the year to not playing in the bubble basically at all, going through personal troubles, going through COVID, coming back in and out of the lineups. He's shown resiliency that I feel like Spo knows he can put him on the bench and play more of a six-man role, and he's still going to be able to produce in that role. So we're talking about Kendrick Nunn. I have a question from Matthew here where he's asking us, Nunn's upcoming free agency has been tossed around in the timeline quite a bit. If you were in charge, how would you handle Kendrick's future in Miami? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I know I saw on the timeline today there was those anonymous scouts and anonymous executives wherever they <laughs> – I don't know where they all hang out, like some golf course somewhere or something, but they released something that there was a lot of interest in Kendrick at the trade deadline, and so he's probably going to command a lot of interest when we get to the summer. It'll be interesting to see what happens. He definitely is going to look for a payday. And, and you can't fault him in that. It's his first time that Kendrick can get paid as a pro. And so I feel like if someone is going to come out and present him a large long-term contract, similar to Jay Crowder in a way, although he's a little bit younger, obviously, I think that Kendrick, uh, you know what? The better comparison would be Derek Jones Jr. First time getting paid. He found an opportunity in Portland where he can play, but also get paid probably bigger opportunity than Miami. And he went for it. And I don't think anybody hates DJJ for making that decision. I think he made the best decision for him. And I would think Kendrick could do the same. It could be in Miami, but I just don't know. I just don't know if we have the space in our guard rotation, especially depending on what we do in terms of Victor Oladipo or maybe Kyle Lowry. Um, so what do you think? Do you think Kendrick's back or do you think he, he goes elsewhere? That boy gone. That boy, <laughs> that boy gone. And this also says, how would you handle it? So it, 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 both answers are the same for me. What do I think is going to happen? What would I do? That boy gone. And it ain't, it's not because you can't afford to pay him because I think there's a conversation you can have with Kendrick where he's super happy here. But Kyle Lowry's right there. He's a godfather. He's going to be cheap. He wants to win. He's not young. He ain't moving too fast, but he gives you a lot. You can play him with Tyler on the court at the same time, which is like something that sucks for this squad. When we're going through our backcourt rotations, there's so many guys that I wish we wouldn't play together. And without Victor Oladipo, that problem is intensified by like 10. With Lowry, you're able to play. You can play Lowry and Tyler. You can play Lowry and uh, Gabe Vincent. Like there's permutations here that you can do with him that you can't really do with none or you can't get away with with none. Like you can do it, but you're not going to get away with it. So for me, the answer is Kendrick Nunn. You had a great time in Miami. I loved the Kendrick Nunn experience. You second in rookie of the year. Go get your bag, man. Go get paid. But that boy gone. I can totally see Kendrick getting paid by a average. New York. Yeah. But like a poor team where he can have a big role, he can start, he's going to put up great numbers and it's going to equate to like 16 and 62 or 16 and 20 seasons. Like they're going to win no games, but he's going to put up stats. That's what I would see going on with that. He's, he's just probably, he's, he's out of our, our future. I think. Random scrub heat killer Kendrick Nunn incoming. Oh man. That's going to be. That's going to be one of the most epic, memorable, or tragic days in Heat Twitter history, I think. It's, it will be tragic. 
we almost have to stop this show. I think <laughs> you didn't think about it, right? You yeah. haven't thought about it until right now. All right. Well, let's move to the last question on that note. So we have a question from Parker. Parker asks, any guesses on who we will sign this off season with all the cap space other than Oladipo and Duncan? Um, can I stop there? Am I allowed to stop there? You are in control of the calculator. You are Pat Riley. You get to make the decision. Assuming Oladipo plays ball for us, um, you probably should re-sign him because you have his bird rights. Okay. I know that if he plays ball, he's going to play well enough that you have to, you probably have to re-sign him. And that's the big what if here is, will we see him in a Jersey gang? Cause if he doesn't show up in a Jersey and you just cut him and, and that's the end of it, or you just let him, let him, his contract expire. I forget exactly what his situation is right now. This is a, a, a non twisted tapioca research situation, but for those two guys specifically, the numbers don't really matter to me because they are the package. If there's something that's available on the market next year, either before the trade deadline or before the season starts, it's Old Depot and Duncan. They're the headliners of a package. So I really don't give a crap what Duncan's number would be, what Victor's number would be. If I'm re-signing guys, those are my two guys. And then from there, I'm going, who wants vet mins? Who wants vet mins? Who wants the biannual exception? Uh, Gabe Vincent and Max Struess on a biannual? Toss it to him. Like, we're probably going to be a cap team anyway. These are the things we're going to be playing with. So if we're going to be capped and we're going to be dealing with MLEs and, and biannuals, I'm re-signing those two guys because what if the situation we ran into this year was we had no players to trade for stars that had any value because we had no picks. But Duncan is actually worth something. Victor Oladipo has some names. Um name recognition outside of those two guys i don't there's nobody in this team i would like really sign everybody else is under contract or i'm comfortable letting them walk yeah i agree if i'm playing gm duncan's staying i mean i'm blank check you tell me what you want what you want whatever whatever someone else wants to offer you we we match it when you start looking around the league you know the 2021 free agency has been you know sort of the attention of the league for a long time. And it kind of dried up pretty quickly last year after the bubble, you know, when you're looking at Kawhi Leonard has a player option, but that's something that I don't necessarily want to hold out hopes for. I know he's got a lot of rumors and and things like that, but to me, that's not, you know, super realistic. John Collins is a restricted free agent. He would be great. Mike Conley kind of similar to Lowry, older veteran point guard, and then really Oladipo is the next person on that list that might be the fourth or fifth best free agent. So sometimes we get caught up in looking for shiny objects elsewhere when we have maybe the best thing in front of us. And especially if he does come back, I would agree that he would be the person that I would try to get. I think we've talked about this on previous episodes, maybe a two-year deal with a player option, something to incentivize him to play well in that first year. Then you can opt out, maybe get a longer, more lucrative contract with us. Um, you know, DeMar DeRozan, Chris Paul. I mean, these guys, Kyle Lowry. Lonzo Those are going to be guys, though. They're going to be available within your salary. Like you, you can yeah. offer them contracts re-signing Duncan. I think I, you know, I haven't looked at those numbers crazy, but I can't imagine DeMar is going to command more than five to seven million a year. Because they're getting at the point of their careers where they're past their prime. They're looking for winning situations. They're trying to get into a good fit. Um, it's 
it's going to be interesting. And I think, you know, we just need to do a better job of signing guys to fill out our roster. We obviously completely whiffed this summer with Mo Harkless, with re-signing monsters. We, oh, Mo, right. Ah, oh, forgot Mo was on even on this team. Yeah. That what was a shame. Falling out in Sacramento, though. But, mm. um, you know, Avery Bradley, those guys, it just didn't work. And we have to do a better job this time of filling out the roster with guys that are capable of playing and not being stuck with playing Gabe Vincent for 30 minutes, Max Drews, two-way guys being our, our rotation players when things happen. So that would be my take if I'm GM. I luckily do not have that task because it is a very important job over the summer to, you know, I don't think we're probably going to be pushing into the championship to the finals, but we need to remake what we've done so far. We don't need to re rebuild it. We need to reload it. I feel like. Heat and five, baby. Heat and five. So we're going to look forward here, Sean. We have 10 games, 10 games left. Each one of them super important, and each one of them will probably feature Gabe Vincent or Max Drews. It just, by sheer odds, it has to happen. So when we look at what's coming up, we have San Antonio. Then we're on the road for Cleveland back-to-back in Charlotte. We come back home with Dallas and Minnesota. We take off to go to Boston for two games. Back here for Philly. Then we finish the season on the road, Milwaukee, back-to-back in Detroit. You're looking at this. You're seeing these 10 games coming up. What's your thought process? What are you thinking? Why am I so depressed looking at this slate of games? You know, it's so hard to predict because of our inability to win games lately that we should win. Uh You're haunted by the Minnesota loss. You're haunted by the recent Chicago loss because when you look at games like Cleveland or Minnesota at home, those games or at Detroit to finish the season, those should be games that you're like, yeah, we're going to get that dub. Haslam's going to play maybe a couple minutes. Gabe Vincent's going to get about 20 minutes in relief time. We'll blow them out. That just hasn't happened this season. And so you're worried about not getting those wins because when you look at those other games, San Antonio, probably a game you should win at home. We beat them last week. At Charlotte, second night of a back-to-back, that's tough. And that's why it's important to take care of business against the Cavs on the night before Mm -hmm. that. Dallas is in a playoff fight. Boston, those two games in Boston are huge. Think back to, remember earlier in the season when we lost to Boston, when Peyton Pritchard grabbed that ball and put it back in? Why would you do that? I just wanted to reflect back on the, the negative times, like the second or third game of the season. That's a huge loss now because tiebreakers and things like that that may come into play. What I do hope is that at the end of the season, Philly and Milwaukee, those games turn into easier games if they've secured their seeding and they're not playing for as much as, uh, as maybe it looks like right now. So uh, we need to try to get around, I would say, seven wins or more if we want to get into that four or five spot. Uh, what do you See, think? I, I'm just looking for the six. I really am. I, my only goal here, and I've been on this beat for as long as I can remember. I feel like I've been saying this for like three months is just avoid the plan, avoid the plan at all costs. I don't trust this team to win one game as far as I could throw something. I don't throw anything really far, kind of weak. Okay. There's, uh, I think it's, I think Alana says all the time, the only thing consistent about this team is its inconsistency. So don't put us in a position where we need to be consistent to advance. I kind of wanted to split this really. I'll tell you what's really frightening to me, Sean, 
is that Charlotte back-to-back. If we freaking drop both those games and the confidence wanes and we have to go into Dallas, Minnesota, Boston, twice Philly, I, that, I could see a world where we lose seven games straight. That's how like this season has dampered me. I am heat culture guy. And I can see a situation where we lose seven games straight. The, the Cleveland game is super important. We have to take care of business in San Antonio at home. Has to be done. And if we split with Charlotte, I really hope we lose first. And we can take some momentum into Dallas because that's going to be a tough matchup for us. Josh Richardson revenge game. And then a hard slate of teams like that could be solidified. But guess what those teams all have in common? They really don't like us. They like really don't like us and they would love to play spoiler for our party. So I'm, I'm really concerned, man. I'm really concerned about dropping games. Uh, I kind of just hope we can get to the six seed. We can get to the six seed. I feel better. You want the four or five. Can you talk a little bit about what specifically makes you want to target that? Yeah. You know, I think uh, the four or five, it, it lends you a better matchup than the six because you're not playing one of those top three. It's hard to pinpoint because you don't know who's the one, who the one is going to be. Because if it's Philly, I would rather be in that spot. Not that I want to play Philly, but I, I think of the grouping, I would rather play Philly than Brooklyn. If Boston is in the four or five, I feel like that's a team we can beat, and we're going to get a good preview of that. You know, at the in the last week of the season, playing them twice. New York is about to go out west. They're going to get. I think they're going to get exposed because they've been hot, but they've been playing maybe not the greatest competition and they're going to go out West, you know, obviously where there's a lot of tough teams. So that may drop them down. Uh, Charlotte has a lot of injuries going on. Atlanta has a lot of injuries going on. So I think four or five gives you potentially a home playoff series. If you can get to the four, we're only two games out of that. That's the one thing to keep in mind. We, we keep harping about all these disappointing losses and stuff. We're, we're almost, you know, right there. We're two, two games out. That's it. We could be one game out if we would have won last night. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's the thing is if we can just get hot, whichever team gets hot in these last 10 or 11 games of that grouping that we've been talking about, that's the team that's going to get the four or five. Well, Sean, just like J.R. Smith in a closing situation, we're out of time. And for some reason, I don't have a shirt on. J.R. Smith. Huh. Pat, Pat really did sell us a lie. Yeah, that's the last time we ever go to the Rusty Pelican. Thanks to this week's sponsor, the Rusty Pelican on Key Biscayne, the best view of the Miami skyline and fantastic Sunday brunch. It's also historically the best place to hold a secret free agent negotiation when you want to get the hell out of heat culture and crush the city's soul before securing your legacy with more championships. I don't think we're going to get that sponsorship now, Sean. So another week. Another episode wrapped of a two-for-one situation. Shout out, John Karate. You guys have been amazing. The support you've shown has been spectacular. And if you want to continue to show that support, make sure you like, comment, subscribe, rate. Whatever your platform allows you to do, do it. It helps us. It gives us great opportunity to recognize feedback and change the show in positive ways. You can find our show on Apple Spotify, Switcher, Google Podcasts, wherever you can consume content, we're probably there. You guys have a good rest of your week.